0: So another election season is now upon us, and the small percentage of the American public that still votes will soon head to the polls. When I was a younger man, I was fascinated by the political racehorse and thrilled by the contest of ideas. For a short period of time, I even aspired to public office, serving on student council throughout high school and later working as an intern on Capitol Hill. Today, when some people hear this, they often express surprise. How did a politico end up becoming a monk? And that surprise turns to bewilderment and incomprehension when they hear that my study of politics and political theory in school led me to ask questions that only theology proved capable of answering. Between that youthful enthusiasm and my life's vocation now as a monk, there lay a certain reversal, but it was a reversal of transformation, not of rejection. It is a similar reversal that lies at the heart of today's gospel. The Lord Jesus and his disciples are on the road to Jerusalem. Not all of them are walking together. St. Mark says that Jesus went ahead of them. The Greek verb that he uses here, pro is significant. In 2 Maccabees, we read that in the climactic event of the Maccabean revolt, Judas Maccabeus and his men, with the Lord going ahead of them, that's the same verb here, recovered the sanctuary and the city. Now, James and John probably know this and they sense the parallel here with that earlier experience in Israel's history. When Jesus wins what they think will be his own redemptive war against the unholy alliance of Herod and Caesar, they expect places of honor for themselves in the victory parade, and they believe that they can even demand it from Jesus. Why is this? Well, if you recall they have supported him from the very beginning. At the outset of his public ministry, when he was a total unknown, they accepted the call by the Sea of Galilee and sacrificed everything. They believed in him when no one else did. James and John are extroverts. They are men of action. They are possessed of that boldness and zeal that is common to all born politicos. Jesus has already recognized this in them, and he gives them a nickname which expresses his appreciation for their natural gifts, Boanerges, which is uh, apparently an Aramaic term meaning sons of thunder. And in fact, more than this, Jesus has shown James and John favor at various points along the way. He's granted them inside access, if you will, that he didn't share even with the rest of the twelve. So first there was the raising of uh, Jairus' daughter, when he invited only Peter, James, and John into the house. And more recently, the same three accompanied him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's even allowed a certain scope of expression to James and John's habit of command— Several Sundays ago, when they were out on mission seeking to enlist new supporters for Jesus' coming kingdom, spreading the good news, they saw a rival exorcist who did not belong to their party. He was working miracles in Jesus' name, and they could not abide this. They forbade him. According to St. Luke, they even tried to call down fire upon the city of Samaria for refusing to permit Jesus to pass through the territory. This is scorched earth politics, first century style. Now, Jesus, of course, as you'll recall, has already delivered three prophecies of his passion. Each time, his disciples have thoroughly failed to understand. They reacted to maybe one element or the other, but they really lost sight of the whole. They thought that his passion would involve perhaps some amount of suffering and hardship, but then again, all political battles do. They heard of the triumph on the third day without realizing that Good Friday would actually mean total defeat, and they certainly didn't anticipate that they would abandon Jesus in the meantime. So here, on the way up to Jerusalem, James and John, with this Awareness, this this taste, perhaps, for what they see as the coming triumph, uh, in their minds, they confidently stride up to Jesus and they see, say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, this is, in political terms, simply the the bold opening bid that's required if you want to negotiate successfully. In other words, they're saying, up to this point, we've done whatever you wanted. Whatever you asked of us, we've followed wherever you led. Now we know that you're on the cusp of your triumph, and we're simply asking that you return the favor. They continue. They say, Grant that in your glory we may sit one at your right and the other at your left. In other words, we're so confident of your victory that we can already envision your throne room. You'll hold court there amidst all of your officials and your servants. You've already renounced marriage and family, so you won't have any sons or brothers to get in the way. Who better to occupy those places of uh, favor at your right and at your left than us? We're your oldest friends, your most loyal supporters. Now, Jesus, of course, is skeptical of this. Uh, But they say, we can. We can do this. We can endure these sufferings. They think that the cup and the baptism that Jesus speaks of are metaphors for political struggle, and these are just simply the sacrifices required for any victory. But then comes the great reversal. Jesus says to them, You do not know what you are asking. Now, this brings them up short. But it doesn't require a total rejection of all that has gone before. Jesus doesn't say, stop asking for those things. He doesn't say, here's what you should ask for. He says, I hear what you're asking for, and I understand the true desire that lies hidden within your request, but you don't. And then he says something that must have seemed totally incomprehensible to these politicos. To sit at my right or at my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now, what, what could this mean? James and John, clearly, uh, their, their jaws must have dropped at, at, at hearing this. What do you mean that the places of honor are not yours to give? That's what a king does. He punishes his enemies. He rewards his friends. Otherwise, what would be the point of becoming king in the first place? What would be the point of following you? But the Lord Jesus proceeds to show that true kingship, the kingship that they actually have been striving for, have been seeking without even really knowing it, is a kingship that is not of this world. And this is the truest reversal. The reversal not of rejection, but of transformation. The first reading was from Isaiah's great prophecy of the suffering servant. The Lord was pleased to crush him in infirmity. This is a king who becomes king not not just by suffering the inevitable setbacks and struggles, but dying the most shameful death imaginable. He will be handed over to be crucified in unspeakable agony and in shame. But through this, he will become great. As the prophecy continues, God the Father says, Therefore I will give him his portion among the many, and he shall divide the spoils with the mighty, because he surrendered himself to death. It is God the Father who promises this vindication. And this vindication extends even to Jesus' disciples. James and John had asked the Lord to do for them whatever they asked. And they actually receive this. But it is transformed. In the book of Acts, we read that they pray for boldness, And they receive the confirmation of the Holy Spirit that shakes the house to its foundations. When they abide in Jesus, whatever they ask will be granted them. James and John had asked for the Lord to grant them seats at his right and his left, and in fact, they will receive this, but it will be transformed. These will be the seats uh, in his heavenly court, Uh, the seats at the head of the the whole congregation of the saints and the angels. And they had said, we can, we can drink of this cup. And in fact, they do become capable, but again, it's in a transformed way, not just suffering for an earthly victory, but martyrdom, which becomes a heavenly triumph. I think when I was younger, I did not know what I was asking, and most of us, in our useful enthusiasm, do not know what it is that we are truly asking for, what we are truly seeking. We do not know what greatness consists in, but Christ reveals it to us, and he revealed it to James and John, transforming the sons of thunder from politicos into great apostles and martyrs. In each of our vocations, what we truly desire and what we truly seek will find fulfillment in service like the Son of Man who gave his life as a ransom for many.